I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. You ever watch a movie and find yourself rooting for the bad guy? You know, I go way back, so I think Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Bonnie and Clyde, oh, Dirty Harry and Crazy Mary, and a host of them. You know, just watching a movie and you find yourself hoping that the thief gets away with the money or the fugitive uh, evades the police or, or whatever. I mean, it happens fairly regularly as we watch shows. Do you know why we do this? It is because of the manipulation of what I call our immoral compass. True North has become relative North. And I don't even know if it has become is the right way to say it. I think it's just always been kind of broken. And, and, and as most of you know, uh, I didn't go to seminary. I went to film school. And I was writing scripts uh, a, lot, uh, a long time before I was studying scriptures. And I can tell you uh, emphatically that there are some simple tricks that writers use to take advantage of our ability to justify and excuse sinful behavior, even when our reason clearly tells us it's totally unreasonable. They're just little things you do. You just create this little fantasy world and you make shallow characters and compare it to it. There's a whole, like, uh, take The Godfather, one of the best known movies ever, The Godfather. The Corleones are grotesquely corrupt, but, you know, in that movie, so are uh, the other mafia families and the police and the judges and those other guys. They all stab each other in the back. But boy, those Corleones, they are nothing if not loyal. And so something happens and we begin to see them as the good bad guys. And pretty soon we're thinking, well, you know, I, I, mafia is bad, but I'm just, I, if I had to be in a mafia family, I'd sure want to be like those Corleones, huh? Huh? I mean, let's take it to the nth degree arguably the most disturbingly monstrous character ever created is Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, right? But he's witty and intelligent and charming and calm, whereas uh, his psychiatrist is an egotistical sadist. All the guards are dimwits and the FBI just lies. And so by the end of the movie, believe it or not, we, we find ourselves rationalizing. We're glad he gets away. We're rationalizing, well, without really thinking about it. It's like, yeah, but so he eats people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things. <laughs> Offhand, I can't think of a single one. But all I'm thinking is if I had to be, if I had to be a, you know, a murderous, psychopathic cannibal, I'd want to be just like Hannibal. <laughs> don't get me started on Dexter. It's a, new, it's a new season coming, by the way. Don't you applaud for Dexter. This is church. We don't applaud for Dexter in church. <laughs> okay, I mean, this is really going to make my point. The reason we are so easily manipulated is because it is in our nature to rationalize unrighteous behavior. This is big. We really need to understand this about ourselves. Let's say it together. It's in our nature to rationalize unrighteous behavior. That's the battle. That's the war. That's what we're fighting. 
because our moral compass has been corrupted, if you haven't noticed. And we're all in the same boat, Jews and Gentiles alike. We are all in this together, which is why we're all so easily misdirected in these little, you know, two-hour brief make-believe worlds where righteousness is not only relative, but it's based on this very limited perspective of comparisons to intentionally superficial and non-dimensional characters. Boy, aren't you glad uh, that's nothing like the real world? Could you even imagine? That's sar- yeah, it's sarcasm, you understand, because that's exactly like the real world. Compare ourselves to our, these superficial images of the people around us. Well, the book of Romans brilliantly, systematically reveals God's plan to establish his righteousness throughout the world through Jesus Christ in order to recover and redeem all mankind, Jews and Gentiles. Gentile just means non-Jew, so you got everyone in that statement. Jews and Gentiles alike. Uh, I remember, uh, anybody remember Henny Young when he used to open his set? Good evening, ladies and Gentiles. I don't know why that sticks with me, but I always thought it was funny for some reason. Uh, (laughs) I'm the only one, apparently. Okay. And so, brilliant book of Romans, all about God establishing uh, his righteousness throughout the world uh, and restoring our righteousness through a process of being transformed. That's what we've been talking about. Being made holy by the renewing of our mind, our mindless moral compass by reflecting our Father's spirit and word. And in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul lays out everyone's equivalent depravity. And then beginning in chapter three, verse nine, he, he sums up his position on sin thus far, saying, what shall we conclude? What shall we conclude then? Here's what he concludes. Jews, And Gentiles alike are all under sin. And Paul goes on to give what I'm going to call the three negative navigations of our misguided immoral compass. Because he goes on to lay out the three misdirections that all mankind tends to go. And and all of Paul's quotation marks in this, because it's just a stack of Old Testament quotes. So all the quotation marks are actually bookmarks into the Old Testament. The first one up here is in Psalms. There is no one righteous. Now remember, he's talking about Jew and Gentile alike. There's no one righteous, Jew or Gentile, not even one. There is no one who understands, Jew or Gentile. No one who seeks God. No one who seeks God, he says. All have turned away, Jews and Gentiles alike. All have turned away. Away. So our first and foremost horribly messed up heading is when we turn away. When we turn away from our Father God. Because as Paul points out, nobody seeks him. You go, well, why do people seek him? No, no, really. When you really think about it, nobody really seeks him. Not without the enormous work of his Holy Spirit. Like that tugboat bumping that tanker, relentlessly pushing us, driving us, and ever so slowly turning us, turning us and maturing us and making us holy. No, at best, at best, we all begin the journey by seeking God's byproducts, you know? We want the relief 
from guilt or grief or pain or adversity. And we want the reward of heaven, health, peace, prosperity. Who just seeks him at the beginning of your journey? No one, and especially not without his enormous help. You ever heard the expression, I found the Lord? I found the Lord. I found the Lord. Should that be an expression? That, that must come from the parable of the lost shepherd. I'm thinking. Please tell me you know that sarcasm, right? There's no parable of the lost shepherd. <laughs> the shepherd wasn't lost. It's like, hmm, I think I remember that one. <laughs> Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to seek and to save his own. He came to seek that which was lost. That's us. We're, the, we're, we're his sheep. And, and I've pointed this out before. He knows full well when he calls us sheep, when scripture calls us sheep. That's not a compliment. It's like, oh, they're so cute and fuzzy. No, they are not the, the smartest animals on the farm. In fact, what they are really good at, more so than maybe any other animal, is, is getting lost. You know why? They don't realize they're lost till it's way too late. But the shepherd and overseer of our souls, as Christ is called, takes notice long before we do. In fact, he took all the initial initiative, you know, giving us his word. God gave us his son, his spirit, each other, his people, his majesty in creation to help correct the course we're on. But... You know, so many of the lost sheep, they just look at it and go, bah. Those wandering aimlessly. Okay, yeah, that was bad. Uh, those wandering aimlessly in a relative world of their own fantasy. They just continue to compare themselves to the superficial level of those around them. And then wrongly conclude that they're good enough to get into heaven, if they even deem one to exist. But not only is that a self-deceptive lie, it is completely beside the point. The question was never and is not, are you good enough to get into a heaven? It's what are you looking for? What are you seeking? Where are you heading? What's your setting? What do you want? Because scripture teaches us that eternity is simply a continuation of the journey we begin down here. So, and it gets a little scary because as such, and you know, we were talking last week about the desire, was last week, week before, the clay hardens and the, the desire of the heart is what decides if the sun melts the wax or hardens the clay. Well, as such, eternity will very even-handedly fulfill the desire of every heart with either the glory of an ongoing journey set on my Savior or the grief of an ongoing journey set on myself. And that grief begins down here. You know, what's that old saying? Uh, you know, this world down here. Uh, it's, uh, it's the closest some people will ever get to hell and the closest some people ever get to heaven. And that grief begins singing. And that grief begins down here. When we turn away from our true God Father and silence the Lamb. I went there. I did it. <laughs> because 
Self-worship always devolves into self-destruction. Always. 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 Uh, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say we commit sin. This is quite insightful. He says we're under sin. Isn't that a, a weird way to put it? We're all under sin. We're under sin. Yeah, that's all slave master terminology from his day. Because he sees, he sees that sin owns us when it rules over us. And so not only do we turn away from our father, but second negative navigation, we turn against our own conscience, our, our better self, if you will. The, the still small voice of what's left of our functioning moral compass. And we turn against that. You know, why is it so hard to eat healthy and so easy to eat poison? Why is it such a battle to quit smoking or to stop drinking or to lose weight, even when one of those becomes one of our topmost conscious desires? Who are we fighting? It's, it's kind of funny because we are like, if you think about it, we're like our own malicious genie, you know, that has the power and the mandate to grant our wishes, but just refuses. Nope, nope. That, Paul, I just love, one of my favorite passages, Paul observes this about his own self. He says, the law, now he's talking about the moral law of God, the rules, the rules. The law is spiritual, <laughs> but I'm unspiritual. Sold as a slave, sold by himself. We, we sell ourselves into slavery. Sold by, my, by himself as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. In other words, I, 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 I can tell you what I do. I can't tell you why. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And that is because slaves are not set free by a philosophy, even if it's a religious philosophy. They need a liberator. They need a savior. And praise God, we have one, the only one. We have been purchased by the blood of the lamb and set free by our God and Father. So why do we return to self-imposed slavery? Again and again, and again and again. That, that compass, it's because our, our heading, our setting leads us back like a dog to its vomit, as they say in Proverbs, because of our internal immoral compass, because, boy, hear this loud and clear, salvation removes the condemnation, thank you, Lord, but not the corruption. No, we're told that that requires sanctification, which is that ongoing process of being made holy, which requires cooperation. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, poof, those who are being made holy, bump, bump, bump. Because together, now Paul goes on in Romans, because uh, together they, Jews and Gentiles alike, have become corrupt 
Other translations you have a common one say worthless. They become worthless and people get some twisted ideas about that and we'll talk about that in a second. But he says there is no one, Jew or Gentile, who does good. There is not even one. And so we're all corrupted and worthless. We're all worthless. In the sense, in the way that word is used here, it's in the sense of like when your computer crashes. Okay? It hasn't lost its value. You don't go buy a new computer. It just can't do you any good right now because its operating system has been corrupted. So what do you do? What's the first thing you're supposed to do? Yeah, restart it, shut it off, turn it back on. We gotta shut it down and fire it back up and rid that corruption by rebooting, right? You ever need a, a swift reboot <laughs> from the Lord? Well, we rid that corruption by rebooting and thus restoring its created functional capacity. It never lost its value. It just became worthless for a moment. In the same way, we are all corrupted, bent on self-destruction, but we don't lose our value. Oh, good heavens, no, Jesus established that. You know how much you're worth, right? The price of the life of God's one and only son. So you ever wonder about your value, remember, he said it. We're just temporarily helpless to do anyone any good, including ourselves, in regard to our created purpose by representing and extending Dad's love and grace and mercy and kindness until we clear uh, the corruption by simply restarting each morning as well as as often as, as necessary throughout the day. So I said, there's three negative navigations. Paul's coming up on the third. We turn away from our father. We turn against our own conscience. And then we turn on those around us. First, with wicked words that speak death instead of life. Paul says, their throats, Jews and Gentiles alike, are open graves. Think about that. Their throats are open graves. It's like every uncaring word is exposing a decaying heart. Their tongues, Jews and Gentiles alike, practice deceit rather than practicing righteousness. The poison of vipers is on their lips, you know, picture it, ready to strike with unloving words regardless of the toxic consequences. Their mouths, Jews and Gentiles alike, are full of cursing and bitterness. And so now he switches it up. We not only uh, turn on those closest to us with wicked words, but with wicked deadly ways as well. He says their feet are swift to shed blood, Jews and Gentiles alike, ruin and misery mark their ways, Jews and Gentiles alike. And the way of peace, they do not know. Because you know what we naturally want more than peace? Our own way. That's what we want more than anything. I want my own way. I know how to bring peace into my house right now. I could just simply go apologize for what I said. But, yeah, it doesn't get me what I want. <laughs> That's why peace is nearly impossible to establish and maintain down here. Because that's something we want, there's something we want more than peace. And that's something that only Jesus can, can work out of us. Bump by bump by bump. And both our wicked words and our wicked ways come from a corrupted heart that simply needs to restart, reboot, 
and be restored to its created functional capacity every morning and then as often as necessary throughout the day. I mean, if your computer crashes in the middle of the day, you don't go, well, I guess I'll restart it in the morning. You just restart it right there. And now Paul closes his conclusion regarding our universal condition with the cause of it all. Very simple, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Jews and Gentiles alike. Proverbs warns us that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. That's another way of, of describing a fully functioning spiritual moral compass. The fear of the Lord. But sadly, we, we, give, we give other fears a higher priority. And when we focus on the less significant fears, our internal compass turns our perspective and then our desire from the eternal to the temporal. And we turn away from our Father. And then from glorifying God to gratifying self, our worst self, if you will, as we turn against our own conscience. And finally then turns us from the greatest good to the basest indulgence as we begin to turn on those who've been purposely placed around us in order to help us achieve and fulfill our created purpose in our journey down here. I mean, some of the worst people around you were put there on purpose to help you to fulfill your created purpose. Don't despise the riches of God. Lastly, Paul adds, now we know that whatever the law, the moral law of God says, it says to those Jews who are under the law. But here's why. So that every mouth, yeah, he spoke to them so that the whole world would know. So that every mouth, Jew and Gentile alike, may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God, Jews and Gentiles alike. Therefore, no one Jew or Gentile will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, the moral law of God. Rather, through the law, the moral law of God, we all together, Gentiles and Jews, become conscious of sin because we're in the same boat. We're in this together, all of us. And we're called to walk in the liberty of Christ. Ah, we like that. We like that. Along with eh, accountability to Christ. Oh, we don't like that one as much. But boy, there's a balance. The liberty of Christ and the accountability to Christ. And that's a balance that must be continually maintained because we're so thoroughly corrupted. That little compass. But God's moral law is like a mirror. Not, not, this isn't great. You need to understand how it works. It's like a mirror. It can only help us by showing us how filthy our face is. It's all it can do. It's not going to clean it. And you're not going to get any clear by washing the mirror, dimming the lights. But his moral laws, his rules can only help us by showing us, but they do help us by showing us how filthy our face is so that we can do what it takes to wash our face by his spirit, with his strength, in order to match the image of his face. But anyone, Jew or Gentile, who listens to the word but does not do what it says like that guy who looks at his face in a mirror and goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, gives freedom. Well, that would be the perfect word of God that reveals salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. And continues to do this after salvation, continues to look intently into God's moral law in order to correct their compass with, by his spirit and his strength, of course. Not forgetting what this guy's heard in God's word, but doing it. That's who's blessed in what they do. He will be blessed in what he does because that's faith works. We talked about that. You're not earning your salvation. You're displaying it. Faith works. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, okay? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But there's also accountability. We all, Jew and Gentile alike, with unveiled face, uh-oh, seeing just how soiled we really are, and beholding as in a mirror, in God's word, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by the renewing of our mind into that same image from glory to glory, from our own glory to our Father's glory. For mankind is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. For now, we see in a mirror dimly obscured by our not yet fully being made holy. But then when, he says previously, when the perfect comes, but then when the perfect comes, face to face. That's how the Lord met with, with uh, Moses. Like a friend meets face to face. For God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. So when you look in that mirror, that's who you want staring back at you. That's the goal. Oh my goodness. I'm looking more like Jesus this week. And that's doable. That's doable to grow into that image because he does what no mirror or moral law alone could ever do. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, thus freeing us to take a good hard look at ourselves and see how filthy we really are, guilt-free. We can look. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, but one of the soldiers at the cross pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Blood and water. You see, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the body of Christ, should be holy and without blemish. Because by one sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who, by the washing of water by the word, are being made holy. Jews and genies alike. And so, what do I conclude? I guess this. 
Until that perfect face presents itself, you just look in the mirror and head toward the light. Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to you and love on you now, we, we ask you to shut down our corrupted ways and correct our compass as we seek your face, not just your byproducts. Holy Spirit, inspire us and rewire us to not be so inclined to rationalize unrighteous behavior. Lord Jesus, we thank you, praise you, and ask you to continue to renew us, transform us, and to give us a swift reboot whenever we need it. And everybody who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.